Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited for our Sports Digita episode here with John Norton, Chief Revenue Officer of Sports Digita. And we're going to talk about sales, sales in a variety of ways, revenue streams, pipeline, uh, the ecosystem in which sales is maybe different or not different, depending on if you're in sports or not. And uh, we'll get into John's background, uh, his career in sales, and maybe a little bit of the why behind uh, why sales has changed why it's so interesting and why it continues to evolve. So nonetheless, uh, John, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, Jake. So excited to talk to you about sales. I think one of the the misconceptions of sales right off the bat uh, for most people in the sports industry is they they immediately think about ticket sales and then it's like picking up the phone, 100 100 calls a day, which is still true to some extent, but... uh, and what we'll get into is technology and how technology has changed sales. And, you know, we'll get into kind of uh, how do you go about outreach? Uh, how do you fill your pipeline? What's the strategies behind, you know, being able to ultimately hit that number at the end of the day, right? And, and um, as someone who's managing a whole sales process, uh, what that looks like, how do you motivate people, all that good stuff. So, um, just give us a quick GPS, though, before we start on where you've been um, and how you've gotten to this, this seat as CRO of Sports Digita and kind of what maybe your first learning or two along the way of now being in, we'll call it the sports vertical, sports and entertainment industry, uh, is after having started in a uh, non-sports career. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I would say that my career has been very horizontally focused around technology in general and tech. Um, uh, 30 plus years in either carrying a bag and or, or helping people that do and challenging those to be the best they can be in, in carrying a bag and, and, and following uh, what it takes um, year in and year out to be successful at, in a sales career, whether that's as an individual contributor or as a, as a leader of teams. Um, so I've been doing that for 30 years. Again, various levels of uh, technology, uh, helping companies companies use technology to drive productivity, to increase revenues, to cut costs, those sorts of things. Um, the cool thing about tech is that, you know, whether the economy's up or down, there's a reason. There's a reason to leverage tech. You're either growing super fast and you need technology to grow faster, or in times like we're faced now, where it's really more of a productivity play, and in many cases, we're seeing layoffs and having to do more with less. Uh, technology is really a critical part of of that as well. And for some people, technology is not their friend. Uh, for others, it's <laughs> it's their best friend, right? So, talk a little bit about what are the challenges that you see with uh, sales staffs in terms of using technology to sell, but also using technology as a whole to make them more productive, more efficient, more effective. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, at the core of using technology, if it's not something you're natural with, let's just go back to the human instinct of change is hard, right? Why change? You know, why change and why now? And I, I bring it to my salespeople all the time as they're presenting proposals to customers. Why do they why do they need to change? Because change is hard. Status quo is easy. Why now? What is it that makes someone make that decision now that's got to be motivated to it? And frankly, it's almost always about revenue increases, increasing productivity, or decreasing costs. But the the marketplace today is, you know, it's a challenge, right? And we, you know, we hear I I talk to my peers in the industry of what's going on right now. We all see the big names that are losing, uh, you know, 10,000 employees and more. A lot of that had to do with COVID and uh, overhiring that was going on. And now they're really right-sizing. But look, the economy is slowed. There's no question about that. We, um, I heard on the way in again today, how many more rate increases so that we can slow the economy and, and turn down the rate of inflation, right? That tightens money. And as soon as money gets tightened, CEOs and CFOs get really conservative in their posture. Budgets tighten up, deals take longer, they're scrutinized more. One of the things that our sales teams have, have um, faced over the last decade is what used to be two or three or four people in a buying team has turned into 10 or 12. And now you do that with a lot of remote work where everyone's trying to coordinate everyone's schedule and you can't hang around the coffee pot and have a conversation. It's now the mechanics of of getting that you know, meeting happening. And, and it, our sellers get frustrated because these deals, they just don't have the same velocity they used to. Their managers keep asking with the same regularity as they used to, but the, the deals are slower and that's frustrating. And then the other thing I would say is these layoffs are affecting our ability to sell in a couple of ways in enterprise. And that is in a lot of cases, we're seeing that our contacts, our champions get laid off. And what happens when that happens? Your deal stops or someone in the buying committee that's important to that gets laid off. The CRO just got fired. You know, guy like me lasts three years typically, by the way, just an interesting stat. Um, or, but, but even more subtle than that, and when people think about sales, they're usually selling something that requires some sort of implementation. And a, some, if, if there's a bunch of layoffs, the chances are within that corporation, there's an ability to execute that's, already, that's also been um, pulled back from there, right? So a, pro, a buyer could say, I really want to buy your product, but I can't execute it to, until September. That's when I have time on my schedule. Hence, another reason deals get slowed. We're really struggling with all those things in a 2023 economy. Well, and the the one point you made about change, I think is really interesting because regardless of the economy itself too, you know, whether someone gets laid off or whether someone leaves for a different job or a different opportunity, right? Either way, people are moving. And, and I think the uh, notion that people stay in their roles and their organizations for a long, long time is dwindling. Uh, would you say mm -hmm. that as well? Yeah, I would. And that creates a big talent gap. And if we go back to sales again, in my career, a typical salesperson starts to get good at about a year and a half. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not taking steps along the way to show progress and contributing, but someone that I can lean on, count on to make their number, uh, don't have to manage in the same way. It takes about a year and a half. And when you're turning over people and bringing on uh, the, the next people that you hope are productive sellers, it really puts a dent in your ability to grow fast 
when you've got this gap in talent. There's no question about that. How do you, and, and so to that point though, how do you go about the hiring process in a, in a sales role where that that is a very different expectation of, hey, year and a half in, you're probably gonna hit your stride versus, hey, you need to be hitting your stride in month three or four, and you're gonna learn a bunch of things along the way probably by the end of year one, but we're like humming on all cylinders by the time we get to year one. Yeah, there, there's two things we, we think about. And the first is, what's our, how are we changing our career pathing, right? It used to be, you know, sales was an entry-level job. You go to two weeks of boot camp training. They send you away. You come back with the badges on your shoulder and, you know, go hit the street. Here's your phone book, right? I mean, um, that has changed a lot. That is a completely losing strategy. One of the things that we think about now, and you see a lot more of this happening in the world is, you know, a, um, a, um, a career path that starts with a BDR role or a SDR role where you're creating demand for sellers that are in territory. You get the opportunity to learn the company, learn the pitch, practice the pitch 100 times a day and do that for nine months. Do that from an inbound perspective, then go to an outbound perspective. Maybe you've got a year and a half in the chair and now you've made every mistake possible to try and create pipeline. You've learned what works for you. Um, you've learned what keywords or cadences or whatever is the right thing for you. And now it's been, you're much more likely to get into the into the, into um, a territory and be successful. And the second element of that is what that we think about is tech stack. What do we put in our sales tech stack from a technology perspective that helps them move faster, helps them prioritize the right deals, helps them look into what I'll, what I call the dark funnel, which we can talk about later. Just helps them be more effective in their day, know where how to start it and how to how to bring it during the day. And as a sales person, how do you? I mean, I, there's questions you ask, obviously, right? But like a lot of things you hear from different salespeople across the sports industry is, "Hey, you know, we've got all the resources, we've got all these different tools." Whereas it's you know another team or another organization. And they don't have anything and that you don't even have LinkedIn premium, right? I mean, it just, yeah. depending on where you go, it's different, which prevents, or I should say presents a challenge one way or another, right? Because having all of those tools can also be cumbersome and, and like, what do I use, right? As well, it's not, more is not always better as well. Yeah, and that's true. As a matter of fact, we, we just spent the last uh, 90 days refining our tech stack. Some interesting stats there. A typical well-equipped sales force has got, um, um, you spend about $4,500 a year on sales tech stack. And that averages somewhere close to six different tools, to your point, uh, about 65 bucks a piece. Um, and what's really interesting about that is 30% of that tech stack is either poorly adopted or not adopted at all. Um, now, so why, why is that? you know, we, you really got to be careful about how you integrate and, and think about where you live every day. So for example, our BDRs, they live in a specific tool called outreach, right? That's helps them think about what cadences they run every day and who they're going to talk to and the prioritization of that. Every other tech stack tool that we use in their tech stack, I think they have about five of them, come through that dashboard. So they live in one home right? My sales team is different. They live in Salesforce. So everything that we also give them in addition to that, Zoom info, Sixth Sense, um, um, 
um, sales now, right? They all come into Salesforce and live there. So they don't get this technology, um, uh, just fatigue that comes from where do I go now? Where do I look next? There is a, there is a um, danger that you can over-prepare. There's arguments to be made on most, most both sides. I got a hundred calls to, uh, to make, just make them, okay? And the activity will pay off versus I'm gonna take an hour in front of each one of these and make sure they're right. But then you never get to them because you call them 10 times and they never answer, right? right. So it's, it's the balance of both of those things. Well, and, and with, with sales as a whole, right? If, we, if, you, if you go back to the simplification of it, right? It's like, first you just gotta get to the right person. Right. And figuring out who the right person is might take a little bit of time. But once you get to the right person, it's it's a lot you're a lot better off than trying to get to the five other people that aren't the right person. Yeah, whether they're easy or not. Right. And 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 uh, you know, I've always been signing up to say go to the budget owner, go to the, you know, C level is a little bit overused, but what we mean by that is the man or woman with the money, right, that has the budget um and 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 owns the quota because those people tend to not um, solve a small problem. They set, tend to solve big problems. And when they decide on something, they go in big, uh, not limp in. And so when you find the high, the, the high level of the budget owners and you get their attention, um, you, you, good things usually happen if you're prepared and you solve one of their top three problems. People ask me all the time uh, as a CRO, what kinds of what kinds of um, uh, ads or emails or calls do you respond to? When do you pick up the phone? And it's really simple. It's not the clever thing. It's not send me the putter cover and I'll send you the putter with a meeting. It's, it's not that kind of stuff. It's really super simple. I have three top problems on the top of my mind right now. And you, you're seeking to solve one of them with an educated approach or an idea that can help me think about something differently, challenge my thinking, educate me, uh, and solve a problem. If you're in that, if, if you're in that realm, you're going to get a phone call back right away. So if you're someone who is reaching out to you, right? And, and again, this is a scenario that can be for anybody. How do you know what those three problems are if you, if you haven't gotten the meeting yet, right? So there's that creativity, the cleverness, the outreach, whatever it is, you're trying to just get somebody's attention. Um, yeah. But then to your point, like, can you even solve their problems? How do you, you know, what's done on the, what's done on the front end to understand if you, if you can even solve their problems and if it's even worth the time to reach out. Yeah. And, and by the way, there's, there's, um, there's super good safety as someone that's doing a bunch of cold outreach, just understanding that it's really that simple. It doesn't have to be you suck. It doesn't have to be your pitch was bad. It's, it's just that you're either going to solve this guy's problem or you're not. And he doesn't have time to be flowery about it or, or something like that. You're just not going to get a response. But, you know, uh, I'll go back to the days I was carrying a bag. And this is sadly, I'm, I'm going to sound like a, you know, a guy that came from the 1800s. But we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have the things that were online to our access. We didn't have tools like Zoom Info or, or um, investor relations on web websites. But I used to buy a... a um, share of stock in every company that I was, that I targeted. And I did for a very specific reason. I got their annual report and their, their quarterly 10Ks. And in there is the truth. 
and it comes from the CEO. And if it comes from the CEO, I guarantee you that CEO's team is aligned with those goals and is driving towards them. And they have goals that drive their pocketbook every single year that they need to achieve. And it doesn't start with you got a 20% decrease in your incentive in your in your goals this year. There's 20% increase. So every one of those guys or, or gals is thinking, how the heck am I going to do that? I said yes in the board meeting, but now how am I going to actually do it? So the, the answers are there. They're in the 10K, and you just have to think about hopping in their shoes as a leader of marketing, a leader of, of um, premium sales, a leader of whatever it is you lead. What are those goals at the top? How would they align to that person? And then go solve their problem. And if you can do that, your odds are a heck of a lot better of getting engaged. Now, activity is important. So, so going and reading every 10K at this rate to, in today's age, probably not going to get you to the activity level you need. But there's, you know, there's, again, to your point, resources to easily access that, uh, do, some, do some quick deep dive and, and go from there. When you think about outreach and filling the pipeline and effectiveness, productivity, what helps uh, continue that cycle, right? Because whether it's calling, emailing, LinkedIn, texting, whatever that mode of outreach is for people, what is, what is your advice to not only your sales staff, but others that you've learned along the way of, hey, this works, or you know, there's plenty of sales stats out there, right? About how many times it takes to get you know someone to respond within you know X amount of outreach and so on and so forth. But what's your advice in terms of the pipeline? Yeah, I think a couple of things. First of all, you're you're you know you're the stats we've all heard, right? The typical um, you know, cold outreach takes 12 to 14 touches before you're going to get a response. Typically, a salesperson gives up in two to four, going they're not interested. Well, they're, they may not be interested now, or they may be busy now, or they may have something else going on now, or that they don't have that problem now, but they might in six months, right? The persistence element of a salesperson is really important and to, and to not take things personally to not, not think that you're unliked or that your pitch is poor or that sort of thing. Just being there at the right time is important. And you know, obviously we leverage our marketing teams to do a lot of that nurturing and outreach as well. But, but a lot of sellers have given up the phone and the phone works. The phone works, a, a voice works and something as simple as repeating the message you think you have for them, the value you can provide and say, if I don't hear from, from you, I'll call you back and do it. I can't tell you the number of times I've called back the 14th, 15th, 16th, 20th time. And someone, and to the point it was a game. I used to keep a legal pad of everyone on where they, when I called them, what I said, and the date. And, and, and then you, I called you three weeks ago on Thursday. If I don't hear from back, I'll call you back. And believe it, those guys believed me that I was going to call them back. And so something as simple as that, finally they give up and say, I got to talk to this guy or he's never going to leave me alone. That works um, uh, as long as it's done in the right, fun, playful um, kind of way. I, I think that that's super important. Just bring it every day. Don't give up. And when you think about the sales cycle in sports, right? A lot of people think about the season and they go, okay, you're selling around the season. That's the sales cycle. For you, you're selling 365, 24-7, right? There is no season. Right. Um, 
Talk a little bit about the difference in the sales cycle and pipeline that you've seen uh, as you're working with some of these sports clients now that are selling not 12 months a year, because that's just kind of how it works. But what, what's, what's your thoughts on that? You know, that that's a, that's a good question that I haven't really dwelled on too much. Um, other than when I think about a pipeline, I think about a two and three year pipeline, not a quarterly pipeline. And if I think about the best sellers in the business, they open the year. I mean, look, we all have quotas, right? We've chosen this career. We've got a number on our back. It's never going away and it's always going up. The best sellers, uh, you've heard the term hero to zero, right? You, you kill it um, January 1st, worst news ever. You got a zero like everybody else. And the best sellers in the business have a zero like everybody else, but they got a pipeline that's 4X their number to start that year. And so I always think about that as you know, the job's never done. You're either selling or you're building pipeline. You're building pipeline or you're selling. It's not one or the other. Um, if there's uh, sellers that fall into a bad habit, it's when they're, they're rocking it and killing it and they're on the leaderboard and uh, strutting around like a peacock. They forgot about filling their funnel. And, and that's something you can't do anymore. Again, because you know it's funny, I was talking to a, a CMO conference the other day and uh, you know the, the the term that came out from all these CMOs was five um, uh, x is no three five x is the new three x right so the the metric was always you needed three x pipeline right and for all the reasons that we talked about um, today that are going on in the marketplace three x isn't going to do it five is going to do it right so that really puts a lot of pressure on our salespeople but also on our BDR teams as well, right? To, to create that. And then, and as a sales leader, you gotta be thinking about all the, the cylinders of that engine uh, running to equip and, and to put enough deals on top of the funnel that you convert them. And then frankly, from there, what we're spending a lot of time thinking about now is, and especially in 2023, you know, the economy is the economy and the Fed is trying to slow it. What that means to me is we're not gonna get more pipeline, right? So one of the things we also think about is how do I do more with the pipeline I have? And so that means when I have inquiries coming to my website or any other way that I'm bringing inquiries into the business, how do I number one, convert more and once I, to, to, to leads? And when I get those leads to meetings, how do I take that meeting and actually convert it to a sales accepted opportunity? Those two conversion rates and what you can do to make sure that happens are really important places to, to pay attention right now. Ring more out of what's coming to you at the top. And with that too, how do you make more out of the current partners you have as well and the current clients? Because it's easier yeah. to, right, to keep one that you have than to go get a new one. And so as you think about growing the current partners you have in addition to um, the pipeline, how how do you go about managing, you know, the, the efforts on both ends? Well, I mean, we do that with separate sales teams. Okay. And, and we do that for a very specific reason. Current customers, um, you know, we, in my experience, you typically have two kinds of salespeople out there. You have those that really uh, cherish working with the customer, working on their business, growing that business, 
being a daily trusted advisor and an asset. Uh, and then you have sellers that want to go kill meat and drag it to the front door, right? And there's those, those two kinds of salespeople out there. So we try and put them where they're, you know, where they live and, and, and most likely to succeed based on the DNA that they have, right? So from a customer success standpoint, those are the kinds of people that we put into those roles are nurturing people that get deeper into that business. If we're successful in one element of the business, we talk about how we could also bring that success to other elements of the business, other divisions of that business, and really not necessarily starting with how much more can I sell, but how much more can I enrich this relationship? Because if we do that over time, you know, we, we're more and more living in a subscription world, right? And so um, renewals of those subscriptions becomes critical to anybody's business. And what we think about in, in, um, in um, customer relationship type business, you earn that renewal every single day, not on renewal day. That's when you do paperwork, but you earn the, the, the renewal every single day and the experiences you give that customer. I love it. When you talked about the grind of the sales, you know, career, right. And kind of the, the hamster wheel never stops and you just keep going and it's all gas, no brakes. From a mental toughness standpoint, from a mental preparation, I mean, just, just the, the whole gamut around what kind of mindset you have to be in, in order to not only sell, but be a successful, you know, salesperson. How do you go about that component of training people? Because that's entirely different, but also feeds into 100% the effectiveness, the productivity, all of that, right? Like that can be a complete derailer if you're not in the right headspace on, on the mental side. Yeah. Um, without, you know, having any prepared thoughts on that, two things come to mind. Um, and the first, it's surprising how often it's skipped. And that is celebrating wins, right? Um, and, and that's as simple as in the um, in our BDR team, setting an appointment for a big customer and having a brass bell that you ring and get loud and make noise over. Or, or um, uh, you know, another thing in, in, in a lot of times in sales processes, the, the, the ultimate win that goes on the bookings report that people see is probably the fourth or fifth or sixth win in a complex sales cycle. So celebrating those milestones that comes from good planning. Here's the next thing I got to do. Here's the uh, next objection I got to overcome. Here's the next buying influence I got to get to. I got to get to the CFO in this case. All of those steps along the way are good and celebrated and, and reinforced in sales meetings, but also publicly. So we spend a lot of time thinking about how we just celebrate all those little things that add up to a win. Um, really super important that, that we do that. And, um, and, and it makes a difference in the skipping everyone's step when, they're, when they didn't get a sale today, but they know they got closer to one. And um, you know, so, so that's, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is preparing for those different jobs that they do, right? Uh, a presentation is one thing that you do. Um, you know, the best sellers that I know set aside time for something, you know, like prospecting a specific uh, appointment every week. And it's either, let's call it nine to 10 every, every morning. Or um, for me, when I was selling, it was Thursday from eight to noon. 
And all of my activity and energy around getting ready for Thursday from eight to noon, I would throw things in a file, things that I studied during lunch or you know, a note that I made or an approach I might try or any of that kind of stuff. And then on that Thursday morning, I got up dressed differently, stood at my desk, um, never sat down and put on a persona that was, I am not, this is game day for prospecting and made my mind associated with that. I also put a goal out there. I'm going to make 10 appointments this morning and see how close I got, right? Those are two things I did that almost, you know, you think about the word gamification these days, but really make a game out of those things and, and celebrate the little wins along the way. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the competitive junkie in people, right, is kind of the, a lot of the why behind people getting into sales. I mean, there's, there's other factors, whether it's, you know, money or, or, you know, to your point, the DNA and kind of what they think they're best at or whatever the case might be. Um, but two last things as we start to wrap up the episode. One, we'll get into a little bit of the why behind sales, but uh, to wrap up. But but two, you're mentioning kind of the, the just whether it's the pipeline or understanding all these stats that go into being successful in sales there's a lot of data and analytics that go on in the background in terms of, hey, if I'm if I'm getting trying to get to that 10 appointments set, but I only get to seven, well, why is that? Right? Like what like there's always some data behind the why and how you continuously, to your point, make yourself a little bit better each day, focusing on those small things. How do you use data in terms of not only making yourself better? but also the team as a whole in terms of pipeline and all, all that good stuff. So there's, there's a lot of ways to do that. I think in many cases, some of the most boring and overused ways are what people see in CRM, right? Um, the calls, the activity, the emails, the this, the that, right? And, and, and what I've learned over 30 years of, of uh, support and sales teams is salespeople all have their own way that they find successful. Um, I can't teach appetite. And I tell all, all salespeople to co consider coming to, to work in my, one of my organizations, fire in the belly is something you gotta have. I can't teach it. I can teach you everything else. And if, you're, if you wanna learn and you wanna live in a con con continuous learning culture and you wanna get better, give them to me. I will make you better. Um, and, and so find your way, but but when we think about again, once we get a when we once we get to game day with a customer, uh, we 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 think a lot about how successful we are in engaging that customer. Were we on point? Were we on message? Were you prepared? Did you look well? Uh, Jake, I can't tell you, you know, and and this is a pet peeve. I'll just say on this on this show. I can't tell you how many presentations I go to where where pe people that are trying to sell me something are wearing a t-shirt. And, and you're not, thank goodness, right? And, and, and I'm not. Um, being prepared just because we're at the end of a Zoom call does not mean that, um, the, the, that being professional just washed away, right? So those subtle things uh, to me make, make a huge difference. And then it's, you know, but one of the things that we do that is super helpful to help my team improve is we do something called film room. We film every presentation we do with a customer and we watch them all. And so, and, and we will, we will uh, any given week, one seller that did a pitch to a customer for 60 minutes, 
that every single salesperson will watch that pitch and with him on the him or her on the on the call and we watch the whole thing we we you talk about what went well in that call what to do more of what to do less of and what they sucked at and that's a good way to put a lot of heat on people to number one probably practice before room film room so that they're better um, and number two, to learn something from others. And, and we do that a fair amount. Um, but so not only do the sellers learn from each other, but I learn what's missing from our pitch, what else I could put in our deck, uh, what other tools I could provide them, like business value assessments and things that I feel would, you know, what other bridges could we put forward? There's all kinds of things I learn from that that can help the team get better. That together, we, we, we learn together and we practice together and that makes everybody better. So just, I actually, I love that because it's, you know, it's, it's just like a quarterback or, or anyone else, right? Trying to watch themselves. But one of the, th one of the classes I took in college was this, was a speech and debate class and you had to film the speech and then you went and you watched your tape by yourself in a room. I can't tell you how much one you think you look stupid, you sound stupid, all that great stuff, right? But, it's, but like to just see your hand gestures and your mannerisms and your eye contact, I mean, all these things that you can't see, right? With with without the video. So do you just you just record a Zoom, you know, the Zoom meeting? Is that what you do? Essentially, you just let the people know, hey, we're recording for mm -hmm. our, our own purposes. Cool. Yep. Yep, we do it all the time. Literally, one hundred percent of our telephone calls and our and our presentations are recorded. Amazing! It, it's 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 super it's super helpful. And and uh, look in that environment. Also, you know your peer is putting themselves on the line, so you're putting uh, you, each other in each other's hands. And because of that, it's scary to begin with, but it's 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 surprising how fast everyone just goes, hey we all can be better. We've all shown that we can be better. And so let's just learn from each other. And, and it's, it's, it's remarkable what happens out of that. That's great. All right. Last, last thing, as we wrap up today, uh, the why behind sales, right? A lot of, a lot of, you know, people in the business will kind of give you a different why. Um, but what's your why? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, my why it was really super simple. And, and uh, you know, I, I think it's not uncommon for those that come from a background of being an athlete or being in sports and that sort of thing. Um, highly competitive is one of the whys. I, I love to um, put it on the line, be measured and beat goals. Um, so people that, that like that, that like putting it out there and, and, and beating goals, uh, they get they get a lot of satisfaction um, over and above money, right? People, there are a lot, there are people in this world that love that recognition and love the impact they can bring to a business and show that their thumbprint is on the growth of a business. I, I think that that's one reason that people choose sales. I think the other is simply um, there is no limitation to what you can make as a salesperson, right? If you want to bring it harder, you want to give yourself a raise. You never have to ask for a raise. Just go sell more, work harder, get better, uh, just like in anything else in life. And um, and most sales jobs reward you handsomely for being on the top of your craft. Um, and and that goes for whether it's in your current company or if it's in a different company. Because I'll tell you, no one wants a, a great salesperson better than more than your competitor, right? Totally. I, I think. 
<laughs> yeah. When, when you think about the ecosystem of sports, right. It's, Hey, I sold for this team or this league or, you know, this other team in the same market, I'm going to bring all, I'm going to bring all my, you know, leads and, and, and network to this team. Right. I mean, it's, um, yeah. it's, it's definitely one of those areas in which uh, it's hard to find good people. Right. It, yeah. it just, it truly is. Yeah. And then I'd say the last thing is people that, you know, come out of business are genuinely curious, right? Um, I used to love to call on customers that were in manufacturing businesses. And before I talked to them about my tech, I would go, can you give me a tour of how you make potatoes into potato chips or whatever they're making into yeah. something else? To me, that's fascinating. And it gets down to, do you enjoy learning about business, how people make money, how people support customers? and how to solve business problems. And if you're one of those kinds of people, this job is like a puzzle. And, and being an asset to somebody and helping them solve their business problems, that's enjoyable and it's gratifying and it's satisfying. And uh, I think that's another reason why a lot of people do it. Amazing. Rapid fire, are you ready? Sure. All right, favorite type of outreach? Are you phone call, email, text? What, what, what's your go-to? Phone. When you uh, type in a greeting for an email, is it hi, hey, hello? What are, what are you, what's what's the? Cheers. Cheers, okay. What's your, what's your, um, your go-to question in a, like if you've got someone for two minutes, what's the question you're asking them? Uh, I would, well, I'll give you a little bit longer answer because I typically will do any cold out outreach, I'll say, what do you think about this, A or B? And the reason I do that is it makes someone, first of all, it was one line and it's so easy to hit reply and B, okay? So I've seen that really work in outreach really strongly is if you make it simple for someone to answer, it works. What's your, what's your word that you try and get rid of in your presentations? Could be uh, um, anything else. The non-words for sure, they drive me crazy. Right. And, and we really practice that. Um, the I just said it. Uh, uh, the uh, silence is the best, best used thing when you have gaps in your thinking. Just simply silence. My pet peeve right now is the word. It's actually two words when people say quite frankly. Or honestly. Or honestly. Well, you're not yeah. being honest with me. Or, or let me be perfectly clear. <laughs> Uh, last, last one for you. Um, you, you mentioned the, the three X, the five X, if, if you had to, uh, put a number on the close rate of, Hey, here's, here's the close rate you need. What's that percentage? The, the typical percentage in, in, uh, in, in my experience in close rate is anywhere from 25 to 30%. That means that and it depends on where you are in the marketplace. Obviously, if you're if you're in a dominant dominant position or only position in the market, it's going to be higher than that. If you have good and determined competitors, typically thirty percent is what I want my sellers thinking about. That means they're jumping in and trying to win where they maybe weren't the first person there, right? But they still have an opportunity to win. Uh, and at the same time, it means they know how to qualify. You know, if you're a five percent winner or a ten percent winner. You're just accepting everything. The thing I love about 5X pipeline 
is that when, the, when you have the gift of enough pipeline, you have actually too much pipeline. What do sellers do? They focus on the best deals. And then they're, they're um, then, then they also qualify in, they only let so much come into their pipeline that's now they qualify only good pipeline. One thing as a salesperson, you never get back is time. And there's, a, it's a, probably the biggest challenge salespeople have is letting things in their pipeline that they know they're not going to close and wasting that time and never getting it back. So the gift of great pipeline, um, we see those, those, uh, those close rates go into, you know, the mid forties and they're working great stuff. That's what I challenge all early sellers to do. Spend more time getting the right pipeline rather than just being busy. John, really appreciate all of the insights, advice, um, just the, the whole conversation around sales. Fascinating. It's continuing to evolve. Uh, really appreciate your time on the Sports Digita series on uh, Life in the Front Office podcast. Hey, hey, thanks, Jake, for inviting me. I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe. And follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.